Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the title of today's show is God's Promises Part 4, God's Promises of Victory. What do we have victory in? Well, today I'm going to present it in a few contexts among many. Persecution is one element in the future. Overcoming sin is another, as is waiting or better known as patience, which I will also briefly speak on because I know some of you have been wanting to know about waiting and patience. And so I felt that that was an important road to go down as well. But we're going to get more into that toward the end. Now, if you're new to this series, what I have been doing each time is quoting Isaiah 55:11 to start off, which says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And brothers and sisters, our words can acquit us or condemn us. They can give us victory or stagnation. Just like I got done decreeing in the 40 promises of healing. So today's episode actually is going to focus more on trusting the Lord's word as it is, victory in trusting the Lord, victory in overcoming. Psalm 1830 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. A buckler to all those who trust in him. He is your rock. He is your fortress. He is your savior. So as it pertains today, in victory. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. John 16, verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, I'll come back to John 16 in just a moment, but what did Jesus overcome in the world? Well, for starters, Anxiety, betrayal, abandonment, death, fear, hunger, persecution, worry, and so on. There are so many examples of victory in the Bible that if I attempted to teach and speak to each one, I don't think I would be ever getting onto another subject because it's a treasure trove. And this is the important reason, guys, of having a promise book so that you can look through these. But going back to John 16, the Lord said that the day would come where those who want to kill you think that they're doing God a favor. He said that the day would come where persecution would come. So speaking on persecution, let's look at Psalm 108.13. Through God, we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. And this one is important, and I'll explain why. Through God, we will do valiantly. So what does the word valiant mean? Well, doing valiantly means possessing or acting with bravery or boldness. It's another word essentially for courage. So some of you are going to be called to take a stand against evil and what comes. In fact, I believe many of us are going to be called to take a stand against evil and what comes. And so it's important that you tie not only Philippians 4.13 into this in that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but also that you have the power and strength through Christ to do it valiantly, and that is with boldness and courage. 
So ladies and gentlemen, I just want to give you an example of that. Let's take a look at the Apostle Paul for a moment. So in Ephesians 6, verses 19 through 20, Paul said, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. Think about that for a moment. As I ought to speak. That I may speak boldly for the Lord as I ought to speak. If you're praying for discernment, if you're close to the Lord, you will know when it's time to speak. And what that means is to pray to speak boldly for the Lord as you ought. You know, don't be afraid to share the gospel, in other words, when you feel led to. Don't be fearful or turn into a shrinking violet when you're called to speak or when that opportunity presents itself. Because in what's coming, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be a lot of lost souls that the Lord desires to save. And so this is one of the reasons I want to mention this now. You know, in fact, we're told in 1 Peter 3.15 to always give an answer to every man who asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now note that the word says with meekness and fear. What is meekness? Meekness is having a mild approach. It is in humility, in selflessness. Those were the qualities of Jesus. Now, what about the fear part of that? Well, brothers and sisters, you should fear only the Lord, not what others think of you. And I've seen so many examples of this going on, and quite frankly, there's no need for that to go on. You know, remember, if you're hated without cause or because your faith, then you're blessed. And besides, God has already given you the victory against those who would come against you. Let's take a look at the second part of that verse from Psalm 108.13, because I realize I got a little bit off track, but stay with me and you'll understand. The second part of Psalm 108.13 says, It is he who shall tread down our enemies. So remember again, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's quoting Romans 8.31. Also, when it comes to persecution, key here is Deuteronomy 32.35, where the Lord promises, and I quote, Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. Or is it hasten upon them? It's late in the day, guys. Forgive me. So you see, it doesn't matter if something happens to us. It's better to lose your life to gain Jesus than deny him before man. Remember, the Lord said, if you deny him, he will deny you before the Father. You know, that's part of the fear, the meekness and the fear that the word is referring to. And I say it again, that there's a lot who are afraid to speak up or speak out. You know, they're being called and they're either refusing or piddle paddling around. I ask again, why are we acting like we're ashamed to share our faith? Why are we compromising at times? You know, let me just tell you, if you're a Christian... You're not going to be able to hide forever. You can't sit quietly on the fence as a spectator. Having an attitude that someone else will do it or that you're too good to speak is actually pride. And not speaking when you could or when you should is cowardly. Remember what I said earlier, quoting 1 Peter 3.15 once again, 
Be ready always to give an answer to every man who asketh you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And it's not even if somebody asks it of you guys. It's also if you see someone and you know you should say something. If you, if the Holy Spirit is moving you to say something, then do it. You know, you can't sit quietly on the fence as a spectator. If you're supposed to speak, the Lord will lead you when to speak. And for many, he's already been doing that. So we need to overcome our fear of that. We need to be willing to humble ourselves for the Lord. And there's things I'm going to be sharing coming up. I've sat here and thought about sharing in my testimony of what got me into a wilderness the first time. Um, And I did some some pretty unsavory things, guys. I'll just be honest with you. I couldn't speak to what I know if I hadn't been through those, if the Lord had not allowed me to go through that and then use it for his glory. And this is important to mention because, you know, None of us know. We could be the last person that an individual encounters before God takes them or takes one of us home. And, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Not everyone is called to do the same thing. Don't get me wrong. Not everyone is called to be a preacher. Not everyone is called to run a ministry. But you at least need to be determined to know who you stand for in the coming persecution. And yes, even in the face of possible death. There may be just one, just one lost soul whom the Lord would have you speak with on a personal level to give an account of your faith, a testimony of your hope in the Lord, which 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to do. And like I said, sometimes you have to come down to a person's level. The Lord met us where we are. Why do we think that we're better than him and we can't do the same? You know, if you can identify with the person, give a testimony as to what how you were redeemed, you know, give a testimony as to something that you may have used to do, you know, and I I know it's not the most pleasant thing to talk about, but, you know, we need to stop acting politically correct about everything sometimes, you know, we need to sometimes color outside the lines and come down to a person's level if we know that we can talk to them and we can talk about the Lord's redeeming qualities and glorify him. You know, we need to get past our selfishness and start thinking of others the same way that Christ thinks of us. That's what it's all about, guys. That's what it's all about. It's always what it's been about. The Lord does not honor the cowardly. If there's someone he wants you to speak to, you'll have to give an account for that if you don't do it. And it also begs the question, if you're cowardly now, what are you going to do later? So let's quote Psalm 108.13 one more time in its entirety. Through God, we will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. So see, he already gives us the victory right there. That's the promise that God has your back. He's for you. Will you stand boldly for him, knowing he has already overcome the world? He already knows how it will end, guys. You know, he's given us all the strength to stand boldly for him in that moment, if we're willing. It's just up to us to believe him. Believe him for our protection. Believe him that he gives us the authority and that he has overcome these things and we too can overcome them with his strength. All right, so moving forward, let's talk about sin for a moment. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, in regards to temptation to sin, when you feel like your flesh is failing, 
Do you ever find the temptation to be more powerful than God's will? Because you're not obligated to do what your flesh desires. This word, quoted from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, means exactly what it says. This word promises that God, who is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to deal with, but with the temptation will be made a way of escape. So in other words, God is giving you a choice. He'll always provide an alternate out for you so the temptation to commit a sin doesn't overpower you. Can you remember that promise the next time you are tempted so as to look for an alternate way out? It's there if you believe the Lord to lead you. The alternative is there. 1 Corinthians 15.55 And by the way, you could tie this into what I was just speaking of in regards to standing valiantly, like I was just talking about a moment ago. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? You know, this verse really speaks to me because I believe to have had a dream on it. And I'm going to share that dream. So on August 5th, 2020, I had this dream where I was getting into what seemed to be a very expensive luxury sports car. And for you enthusiasts out there, um, I don't know what type it was. That was not what I was shown. That's not the point. I just know it was one of those big names that, you know, most people can't even afford. And in this dream, I'm not sure if I owned it or was picking it up for someone from somewhere, but I don't believe that was what the dream was about. That's just what the situation happened to be. So I was backing out onto a highway from what seemed to be some sort of parking lot or a driveway of sorts off of a main road. And when I backed out onto this road in reverse, I could see in the rearview mirror that there was a tractor trailer or a semi-truck barreling down on me. And it was not slowing down. And I remember not being scared. And at that very moment I saw it, I thought the truck was going to smash into me, but I felt no impact. But yet I swore it hit me. Which, honestly, a vehicle that big would have completely obliterated the car and killed me. But in this dream, that didn't happen. I got out of the car. This guy got out of the truck. And he asked me if I was okay. And I was. But upon looking at the back of the car, though I was under the impression there was damage, there was none at all. And... I believe in this dream that what I was being told was situations are not always what they may seem. And because I was not fearful, I knew that God was with me. I was safe and completely unharmed. And this was the interesting part of the dream. I didn't get back in the car. There was a field nearby. And I recall running through this field with sunshine and a breeze gently sweeping over blades of soft grass. The temperature was perfect. My hands were up as if I were giving praise and I was looking up. And I felt his presence. I felt the Lord's presence and I was overjoyed. And so at the time I had this dream, I reflected on it. And the verses I pulled um, were the following. Job 36 verse 7. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous, but with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doth establish them forever and they are exalted. You know, risen above whatever we may encounter. Psalm 18.6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. Psalm 50, verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. 
John 8, verse 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Keep those two verses in mind for just a moment, because you're going to see where I'm going with this. So when we go back to the dream, in that moment, there was no impact. There was no death. I went on living, at least eternally I went on living. And you know, we can look at another example, and this actually may be more appropriate when it comes to something such as persecution, getting back to that for a moment. When we take a look at the book of Acts, in specific chapter 7, there was Stephen who died as a martyr. You know, he stood speaking valiantly for God, calling out the stiff-necked and their worship of stars and idols. He was accused by the Jews of being a blasphemer, and Saul had him arrested and stoned to death. So, starting on Acts, chapter 7, verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So, you know, in other words, have mercy on them, Father, for they know not what they do. So Stephen fell asleep right as they were stoning him. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty merciful ticket out of here. And so you see, both examples apply to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, in that death did not sting and Hades did not have the victory. The Lord is our protector, our redeemer over sin, and he is our salvation. We are saved by faith that we have in these promises, and that includes when death in our human body appears to be certain. Thus again, there is no reason to fear when Jesus overcame all of these. And that is the truth referred to in John 8, verse 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verse 36, still John 8. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. In my dream, I was free. When Stephen was stoned, he was free. You know, moving on, I want to get into sin and forgiveness for a minute because many walk around constantly condemning themselves. And I feel that this is also something that we need to understand as far as when we're forgiven and how we have overcome that sin and how we turn away from it and how we can really believe that we're forgiven. You know, the Lord came in the flesh. He shed his blood for us on that cross for our sin, which we too can triumph over. But in the event we do slip up, we are promised he will forgive. He is faithful to forgive us. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Going on one more verse into 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, quick question, how many of you have sinned and you keep apologizing over and over again? You know, no need to be ashamed. I know I've done it. But you know, one time when I kept doing it, the Lord actually spoke to me and he said, my son, it is forgiven. It is under my blood. Why do you keep rehashing it? Do you not believe I am faithful to forgive? Ouch. So when we mess up, 
which let's admit we all occasionally do for not one is perfect. Do we believe the Lord's promise that if we confess the sin, he is faithful to forgive? You see, I believe what the Lord was trying to tell me and what he said was that once we confess a sin and he forgives, that what he ultimately desires us to do is better next time when a temptation arises or to turn from a certain sin or behavior and not do it again. Try to do better. He needs to see effort on our part. We can't just keep going on and doing the same thing over and over and over again and confessing it and confessing it or dwelling on something as self-condemnation. By the way, that's an attack of the enemy. If you're continuously dwelling on something like that, that is an attack by the enemy. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive. And speaking of that condemnation, 1 John 3 verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. We have the victory. We have the victory. If we don't continue to condemn us, if we don't continue to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, then we're free. We have confidence toward God. We can approach him. Because think about it. When we continue to keep dwelling on the same thing over and over and over and over again, you know, when we continue to bring it up, after we've already confessed that sin and received forgiveness, and if we've repented, do you think he wants us to keep talking about it or dwelling on it? No. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So why do we keep bringing it up? He doesn't, he, he, he's not going to continue to condemn us. That's the enemy doing that. That's, that's Satan doing that. You know, Jesus, he wants us to believe him that he has forgiven the sin as he is faithful to forgive, just as his word says. He only wants us to do better. And we do that by abiding in him and learning what is displeasing so we can discipline our flesh and our mouths, which is one of the two that tends to get us in trouble in most cases. As long as he sees that you have a will to change and your confession is from a true heart, he's forgiven it. And you can stand in that. Just try to do better next time. Continue, continue to improve. Now, the latter part of that verse, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You know, if you think that you don't sin, you're calling God a liar. It speaks for itself. So anyone pointing the finger on what was just said needs to get that plank out of their eye before judging someone else because nobody listening to my voice today is innocent where it comes to sinning. If even in the past which is exactly why the Lord tells us, by the way, to forgive others. Because it's a show of mercy, guys. Just as he forgives us, we need to forgive others. His forgiveness is part of our salvation package. We just always want to be better. And if we slip, then be quick to confess and turn from that. 1 John 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Note, overcome. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so, who is he in the world? Well, he is the devil. He is sin. Sin leads to death. Jesus overcame them. Who is them? Them is the sin. Because he, which is Jesus, who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So if your focus is on Jesus as your Savior, as your Redeemer, and you believe in his healing miracles, you too can be healed. You are healed. You know, he overcame 
and resisted the sin, and so can you. And, you know, this is illustrated in 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, your faith in Jesus. Again, he is your redeemer, and he has overcome it all. You have the victory in him. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So, you know, as you're focusing on the Lord, as you're focusing on Jesus, your flesh dies. You become a new person because the Lord does a work within you where you no longer desire those sins anymore. You don't want to sin anymore. You'll even find yourself separating from your friends. You know, when I, when the Lord sent me into a wilderness and I was studying his word all the time in prayer, I noticed that I was starting to change. Like certain music I used to listen to, I didn't like it anymore. Um, the friends I used to speak to, I just slowly drifted apart from. I didn't stay in touch with them anymore. I, I didn't feel like I had anything in common with them anymore. I was becoming a new person. I was being made alive by the Spirit. I was putting to death my flesh. I wasn't trying to hook up on dates anymore. I wasn't trying to drink anymore, you know? I wasn't engaging in uh, dirty jokes and stupidity, you know? I was changing. The Lord was making me a new person. And that's what this verse means. He gives us the victory to overcome these things, guys. He gives us the victory to overcome the sin. You know, when you put to death a sin, the flesh suffers and screams, but we're then made alive in him. Believe it. Speak it. Know it. Because these truths, ladies and gentlemen, destroy strongholds. Which leads us to our next promise. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is, of the flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That is overcoming whatever situation you may face by using the word as your weapon. The word pulls down strongholds. It convicts us when we're wrong. It shows us when we're, you know, being prideful or when we're, uh, let's say that, you know, you're lying or something and, or, or you're treating someone bad or um, you're thinking about things that are not of the Lord. You know, it corrects us. It makes our thoughts obedient to Jesus. And you could cross-reference these verses with Romans 13, 12, which says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The armor of light. Correct living. The promise of salvation. The promise of victory through Christ Jesus. Your faith. You know, another verse to cross-reference. Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. So the word smashes the lies of the evil one into pieces. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. And that's quoting Hebrews 4, verse 12. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. Old things, that's the sin, that's the bad lifestyle, they've passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are an entirely new creation in Christ Jesus. It's just your responsibility to continue to believe him and remain in him. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So if you're new to faith, the Lord is not condemning you, but he wants you to draw near to him. He loves you. Because just as I said a moment ago, the more you're filling yourself with his word, his presence is upon you and you're changing. You're becoming a new person. You're a new creation in him. He's going to give you the victory to everlasting life. But you must continue to believe and you must continue to live in his ways. If you're living in the truth, that is your victory. His word is your victory. You're walking with Jesus. You will not perish eternally regardless of what happens here on earth. He has given you the victory once you believe because he already overcame death. And he wants you to give up that sin, which is putting you to death. He wants to take you by the hand. He wants you to walk with him. Walk with him. Pick up your cross every day. Walk with him. Moving forward, let's talk about belief versus unbelief. Let's talk about faith and wavering. Because really, I think that this is tantamount for anything that you're going to need in the future with these promises. You know, Jesus said, quoting Mark chapter 9, verse 23, that anything is possible if a person believes. Note Jesus said, if a person believes. James 1, verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. If we ask for something, but only half believe, then we're not going to receive it because we're wavering in the faith. So, as an example, let's say that I asked for a truck. If I really believe that it's on the way to me, then I'll have it. If, however, I doubt God's ability to provide it, then I'm wavering and tossed about like the sea. It's the same for any other promise. It's the same for sin or anything else. It's, it's the very core of faith, believing for what is unseen, believing he can heal you. You know, it could be a trial you're going through. I know many of you out there are going through trials of your own right now. And that's part of what James 1 verse 6 was referring to. Let's read from James 1 again. And this time, I'm going to include verses 7 and 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, we want to get in the habit of not doubting. We want to be in the right mindset. The battle is in the mind. And that's all of us, because when certain things start to happen, we have to remember to keep our... We we want to get in the practice of doing this now, because we don't want to start to learn it later on. We want to have it under our belt at that time. You know, if you believe the testimony of Jesus, then you can believe for everything else and all the promises. Hebrews 11.1 states that... Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, to put this into perspective, you may not see Jesus, but you know he's real. You believe. You believe who he is. You already believe it. 
The key is not to just believe in him. It is to believe him. You already have your salvation. So it's like that with anything else. And in this way, any doubt can be overcome so long as we put it into practice. Speaking of overcoming, you know, and, and going back briefly just to the, you know, uh, persecution, Revelation twelve eleven, and they, you know, they being the saints, overcame him. That's the Antichrist by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. One of the biggest reasons I'm talking about overcoming is because of what we know is on the way. I know I've been jumping around, and I'm, this is probably not one of the easier episodes to follow, but we know that hardship and persecution are not far off. And in fact, they're actually closer than most of you realize. Many of you probably do realize, but there's still many out there who just they, they don't know or they don't follow it. They, you, know, it you, know, you don't want to be caught unaware of certain things because... In an instant, it can happen. You, never, you just never know. And I'm going to get more into this soon based upon revelation I've seen lately, but in short, and for the purpose of this episode, we can't stop it. You know, it's ordained by God and it's going to be allowed. We know that his word is being fulfilled. Scripture is going to be fulfilled as it's written. So let it be known that anyone selling you a lie, that a politician is going to make things better or that things will go back to how they once were, Well, they need to have the truth given to them. And this is part of the reason I was speaking earlier about speaking valiantly for the Lord. Normal isn't returning. Jesus is. You know, you want to snap out of this delusion if you believe otherwise, because you have to remember, the Antichrist will come forth as a man proclaiming peace. He's going to be disguised as a religious figure or a politician. You know, many out there are saying, oh, it's AI. I've, I, I mean, I've heard people saying it's AI. It's like, I, I'm not totally convinced that it could be. He could be influenced by AI. Don't get me wrong. But you have to look at the word for what it says. You know, clearly this figure, he's already at work behind the scenes. He's using AI. That's for sure. He's using it. He's enslaving everybody with it or trying to. You know, it's just a matter of time before he's made public. But you see, it's going to be at a time when things are anything but peaceful. And many will beg for it and do what he says in the promise of having provision. And as a result, many are going to bow to that mark. Everything that you've been seeing up until now, and I've said this before, everything that you have been seeing up until now has been a test run, a test run for what's coming. And, you know, again, I'm going to get into that um, soon on another episode. But just as a side point, the writing's on the wall. And it's all being pushed for your safety, you know, but not in the too distant future, guys. They're going to make it a crime to talk about any truth in the Bible, including what I just got done mentioning. I mean, you're already seeing adulteration of the word in many of the churches. You're seeing the abominations now. And that's what I was referring to at the beginning of this podcast when I talked about how Jesus said, you know, the day is coming where those who kill you will think they're doing God a favor. You know, the day is coming. They're going to throw you out of the churches, out of the synagogues. Because that's what they want to do. They want to remove the true truth and the gospel from the church of what it really says and what, how we're supposed to live. The true church, the word, it lives in the true believer. You know, I had a dream on that too, as far as the outlawing of the word. And that's up on my site. And you know, in this dream, it looked like something 
you know, I called it a thing because I don't even know what it was. It, it was it was scouring a bookshelf looking for something I wasn't supposed to have. And I remember I asked it what it was doing, and it was very arrogant. I had to rebuke it. And I don't want to distract from my point. You know, you can read it under my dreams tab, but we will overcome this man of lawlessness and his minions by the word of our testimonies and what Jesus has done for us, the shedding of his blood for our sins and the truth of his salvation. And again, all of us have a responsibility to be about witnessing to lost souls. And that's only going to be on the increase as time goes on, guys. This is why you must be ready. When it begins getting really bad, many will be tempted to give up. You know, many are going to be tempted to kill themselves. They're going to be tempted to take their own lives. We can't lose hope. He told us, the Lord told us to endure until the end. He who endures until the end shall be saved. Remember, the Lord overcame death as well as every other temptation. And because he is for you, who can be against you? He's fighting for you. And I'm going to get more into that in a moment. But let's go over some additional promises. Proverbs 3.26, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Not everyone's going to go into captivity. So I don't want everybody listening to this thinking it's doom and gloom, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go into captivity. Oh, what am I going to do? No, the purpose of this is not to worry you. Only the Lord knows who that's going to be. Only he knows who he's called to be and where. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Remember what I said about faith earlier, that it's the hope for that which is unseen? Whatever your situation, whatever, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. So it doesn't matter. We stand strong in our faith. And speaking of that which is unseen, let's talk about waiting for a moment. Let's talk about patience for a moment. Isaiah 40, 31. Because I think it's important to bring that up because it's a big one. I know it's one I've had to go through. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So, you know, eventually I'm going to get more into patience. I, br- I brought this up in another podcast recently. Um, and I have been asked about it behind the scenes. I'm going to get more into that and waiting on the Lord because that's another aspect I believe that needs to be covered. And I know that many of you are going through that. I'm just going to share really quick that I personally, as of lately, was reprimanded for getting impatient and complaining about something, about a few things, actually about a number of things, because I've been going through it, guys, since last summer. And I confess what I did wrong. But what the Lord showed me was that instead of complaining, we need to praise him. Instead of worrying, we need to worship. Because impatience, if you're not careful, can lead to pride. Because what impatience can display, you know, in addition to what may come out of your mouth, is entitlement. It's an attitude of entitlement. Satan is getting very sneaky in the way he is trying to sneak in and attack right now. And pride is a sneaky sin that sneaks in. Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. And that's how it was, at least where I was concerned. But, you know, when we're waiting, we need to praise and worship. And above all, never stop praying. Don't stop praying. You know, Satan's on the prowl. And this is all the more reason to be learning the promises 
so as to counteract his lies by standing on God's truth. Because when it comes to waiting, it can be a lot easier said than done, especially when you've been waiting for a long time. And he's trying to whisper lies to get you off track when it comes to patience. And the danger in coming off the rails and losing our cool with the Lord is that in the future, we're going to need to be extremely patient. If you think that you're going through a patience test now, oh, I, I, I don't even... It's it, I don't even want to imagine. I don't even want to think ahead that far, but I try to have enough faith for the day. But when evil is on the loose and we're waiting for things like provision or whatever else, we need to stay calm. You know, if we flip out, we can end up endangering ourselves or those around us. I mean, we're going to need to really know how to reel in desires versus needs. Let's just put it that way. Because we don't want to end up resorting to what I would refer to as unsavory or ungodly methods to get what we need. You know, we also don't want to think that we know better than the Lord. You know, he may have us where we are for a specific reason. And we need to trust him. You know, he goes ahead of us. You know, at the right time, he'll provide. At the right time, he will lead us to move. At the right time, we will run and not be weary. Think about it. If you don't wait on the Lord, you're also wearing yourself out unnecessarily. And you don't want that. His ways are higher than ours, and we must remember that. You know, at the right time, we will mount up with wings like eagles. Remember, too, that it's all part of endurance training. So if you're in waiting right now, and you're going through patience tests, it is to increase not only your endurance, but your faith or refine where that faith is lacking. It's a strengthening, it's training. And that's not the worst thing that can happen when we stop and think about it. The Lord knows what we need and what is best for each of us in our own situations. And guys, I know sometimes it can seem monotonous. Believe me, I get it. I'm going through it with you. But we need to praise him and avoid complaining. Like I said from the dream I shared earlier with you know the truck that hit me, things are not always what they seem. There's a reason behind it. And we need to see the good in what he's doing within us. You know, don't get rebuked like I did, okay? It's very serious. To quote Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Another thing that comes with the waiting. Not growing weary in well-doing. We need to remember, we do all things unto him and that includes what's bad too. So we need to check our hearts and reflect on them. Reflect what's in there if we start to become selfish. Do not, I repeat, do not compare yourself to others. That is a no-no. It also declares what comes out of your mouth, i.e. complaining. You know, do not murmur or say, well, that's not fair while you're waiting. Guys, that's displeasing to the Lord. That disgraces him. It shows us that we don't have faith. And what happens if we're unbelieving? What happens if we're unbelieving? Do we know better than him? Do we want to trip into the wilderness? We need to watch it. We are each accountable to keep our side of the street clean, okay? 
Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't become impatient. Further, in speaking of victory and overcoming, Romans 12, 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. Keep doing good to counteract what is going on. Continue to live his word. Continue walking in the Lord's ways. Continue to be a good steward of the word. And speaking of the praise factor and not coveting, you know, coveting is jealousy or being found wanting. And that's another thing that can happen while you're waiting. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17 through 19, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. So, you know, in other words, don't become weary and upset with the Lord in waiting. Don't fall for the temptation. Remember, he always gives you a way out. You know, don't disgrace. Don't grieve him. If you faint not, in due season, you'll reap. You know, in due season, you'll run and not grow weary. And there's another one. When it comes to coveting or the, someone else got what I prayed for, it's not fair. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a test. Remember what I said about praising and not complaining? Hebrews 13.5, let your conduct be without covetousness, but be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord knows what you need. He's with you in all you're going through. If he feeds the birds of the air, if he's protecting you, he's well aware you need these things. Give thanks to him. He's with us in all we're going to go through in the future. His word is the same today as it was yesterday and will be tomorrow. All of these things today, guys, all these, all these verses I've mentioned are tantamount to stand on in what we're facing. We have to remember these things. So I guess you could say they're not all promises like to quote as in a decree. However, they are promises and they are the rules to live by. Those are the main examples I wanted to get out there because you can have victory over the enemy taunts. You can pass the tests. You will prevail in Christ Jesus. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. I know it's getting tough out there for some of you, but you can't lose hope. You know, he's been teaching me this for a while now. And brothers and sisters, we're all being tested. You know, for anyone new to the program, um, where the tests were concerned, I did a show called Test, Tests, and More Tests with Glenda Lomax back in early December. And you might look through the archives and listen to that if you want to hear more about it. Because I also talked about the consequences of failing the test and testing God in the wrong way. And you want to try to avoid that. And so that's why I bring that up. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. I hope I've given you some tips on how to overcome certain situations and that this podcast has been a blessing to you. May our Lord Jesus bless you all. And until next time, take care of yourself, everyone.